Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Another exciting edition of uh, SFP now. Uh, joining me for this episode, as, as usual, is Risa. Um, hopefully, we're going to be joined a little bit later on by Britton Vangante. Um, the interview we have this week is with a um, director and actress um, from, from Television Theatre and Big Finish Audio, um, Lisa Bowerman. So, she, she'll be our interview later on. Um, but first, um, Risa, how you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. I'm, I'm pretty good myself. So, um, how about we uh, kick off? What what should we kick off with? I mean, obviously, Arrow and Gotham and stuff like that started over in the States now, and we're still waiting for it here in the UK. So. Yeah, I was thinking um, Arrow and The Flash. Okay. So you, the the two big ones other than Agent Carter that I watch. So. Okay, well, you, you have the floor. Well, let's see. Arrow, we're in the... What was the last episode you saw? Uh, the last episode that I saw was the episode where Ollie was, um, you know, knifed to death and he was flung off the top of a mountain. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we're getting into the fallout from that. And um, I'll give you some spoilers, but not the whole thing. Uh, basically... We have uh, tonight's episode is going to be the third episode of a trilogy dealing with the fallout from all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the villain of the trilogy, that the Arrow team minus the Arrow tries to go at, is played by Vinnie Jones. He, he's um, his name is is uh, Danny Brick Brickwell, who's apparently a character from the <laughs> comics, and um, and we we get this marvelous uh, arc where uh, where. Laurels tries to be the canary and fails utterly brilliantly. It's it's wonderful. She gets the crap beat out of her. Um, well, we I'm absolutely look forward to that because um, you know you know to me Laurel getting the crap beat out of her is perfectly justified. It is, and they and they and they and they deal with that. They deal with the fact that she is not her sister. Um, what they also do, which I have very mixed feelings about, is that she hasn't told her father that her sister is dead yet. Mm-hmm. And um, and she's actually pretending to be her sister in her interactions with her father using uh, voice technology. Damn yeah, yeah and it's it's hard. That's it's hard. Just, uh, that's that's just bad. Yeah. There's also a twist where we find out who killed Sarah. Um, I don't know, oh, know if I want to just blurt it out uh, because it's a pretty freaking major twist. Mm, you know, um, I think I think we we already know who killed Sarah. It was a um, it was a black arrow, right? It was. It was it, it was it was the dark archer put um, Thea up to it, but yeah. whammied her so she doesn't remember. 
Yeah, well, that, that 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 was actually revealed in the um, in the mid-season finale that I watched. So it's, oh, okay. It's not new. That that was actually, that was revealed in the episode where Ollie dies. Oh, that's right. That's right. I I couldn't remember what was revealed when. Um, the 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 downside of these serialized narratives is there, there comes a point when the episodes do start to blend a little. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 a very good arc. Um, um, I'm blanking on who's playing Danny Brickwell. It's it's. You said Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones, yes, Vinny Jones. He's he's doing wonderfully. It's 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 well within his wheelhouse, but his wheelhouse is an awesome wheelhouse. He does what he does very well, and uh-huh. he's he's the perfect villain for this version of the Arrow team to go up against. He's really putting them through their paces. Actually, um, I've got a picture to show you of Vinny Jones from from his days when he when he played football, and this is funny. <laughs> um, I'm gonna see if I can find it for you now. Um, it's it's funny. Uh, so just give me a second here. Give me a second. It's a very very famous image in this country, um, in the UK, and it's uh, it's just priceless Vinnie Jones. Yeah. And basically, it just shows you that he's not actually really acting when he plays these bad bad guys. You know, this is this is the real Vinnie Jones here. You're gonna get to see. So you you should feel very privileged. <laughs> see this. Uh, let's see. Uh, add. Just really. Why? Why does it always do this? Uh, epom. Ah, there we go. I was looking for the chat window. Yeah, I was looking for it too. Like, I suddenly couldn't find it. Okay, I'm clicking on it now. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, yeah, that sums it up. Yeah, that you know, yeah, you look at it. He had more hair there too. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that, he was he was basically a he was he was basically a footballer. He actually wrote a book on how to, on on how to um, how how to commit fouls in football and get away with it while the ref wasn't looking. Wow! <laughs> uh, before before he moved out of the country, sort of thing to to, to NA. Uh, but he was he was he was very very well known for it. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. So that, that's why that's why he's good at playing bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or you know, so 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 he's he's good in he's good in Arrow then. Oh, he's it's it it was it was worth bringing him into this role. He's 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 owning it. Because he was also good in the Cape, wasn't he? Oh, he, he he's good in the Cape. Um, he also played a uh, played a sort of a sort of deconstructing his bad guy roles in uh, the musical show Galavant, which I watched. He's doing very well on that. It's like he he plays to type, but he does what he does extremely well. Yeah, and and the thing is, um, you know, he, he he does it, you know, he does it in such a way now that his tongue is very much in his cheek. He's sort of yes. like, he's yeah. kind of like nodding to his old bad boy self sort of thing, but in a very sort of like uh, fun fun sort of like playful way. Yes. Yes. You know, because he's, he's he's probably probably calmed down quite a bit since then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but. Um, I I seen him in a film recently as as about a group of World War Two soldiers. And sorry for my cat in the background here; he's demanding attention mm. as ever. Um, he turned nineteen in December. So, um, do you think this character will cross over into Flash? Uh, this are it depends on how tonight's episode plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, Vinnie Jones has talked in interviews about the fact that he would be willing to reprise the role in later episode this season or down the road, um, but that's that's assuming he isn't lying through his teeth and his character isn't killed out killed off altogether. I don't know. 
Well, to be honest, when I interviewed him, you, if you remember when I interviewed him a couple of years back, uh, he, he was playing scales, but he'd also had a recent role in, um, in Chuck. Yes. And he actually said to me in that interview that he'd love to come back and reprise that role. So you never know, you know? Yeah, you never know. You know, I, I, I personally want to see him do more song like comic book stuff. Uh, He's well suited for it. You so. know, as as villains, or, or or even as even as the um, even as the song like uh, anti-hero sort of sort of character, because mm-hmm. it, it just seems to be seems to be right for it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, I I I I quite happily support his uh, support his career as a comic book villain or anti or, or anti-hero. Mm-hmm. No, he's he'd, he'd be perfect for it. Um, in terms of the in terms of the arrow, you have tonight's episode, the final episode in the trilogy before things get back to whatever the new normal is. Um, we get uh, Malcolm Merlin's flashbacks. Mm. We get we get his backstory that's been alluded to up to now, but they haven't had the time to actually deal with it. So that should be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool to find out what 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 Malcolm Merlin got up to during that. Year, year, that whole year period in which he wasn't in the show. Mm. It's actually going to go farther back than that. It's going to go back to before his, to the point when his wife was killed. And um, yeah. So basically, he'll follow his time, you know, during his time with the uh, with the shadow, um, with the shadow yeah. region. Yeah, and then and then working up to how he joined the assassins, and then how he started the undertaking and stuff. What's interesting is that the, in the clips of the flashback sequences, because of, of um, because of, uh, of Barrowman's Botox and stuff, they really don't have to do much uh, to, uh, to de-age him for the 25 years ago flashbacks. All they do is really change his hair some. And then maybe, you know, put some different lighting on him. But really, yes, some of the, some of the advantages of the Botox and whatever other regimens he's using at this point. So he doesn't really look, you know, like twenty-five years have gone by as it is. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of funny again because he's actually. Um, I found a um, found a clip of him a while back on a on an old kids show, a kids Saturday morning show, which was pro- probably would have been about twenty-five years ago now. It's called Knife and Kicking, mm. and um, he was basically one of the first hosts on that. He did, he, ho- he helped host that show for a while uh, before he went flung into musical theatre. Mm. And I found found this clip and um, I sent it to one of his adoring fans who, who I know and who he went completely crazy about it because you know she she apparently knows him. Oh, <laughs> so she she actually she actually loved it and she goes oh just wait and I show him this. <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, how's Arrow? Uh, how's sorry, sorry the Flash doing? The Flash. Uh, you are going to love the fact that the episode that aired here last night, that you're going to get presumably in two or three weeks, introduced Grodd. Oh, King of, the, the Ring of Grodd. Yes, we do in fact, because uh, I, I, was, I was assuming that they were going to save Grodd for like the season finale, as like the, the tag of the season finale after they resolved out all of this year's arcs, but no, they're, they're, they're bringing him in now. Well, what was, yeah. the last, what was the last episode that you just seen? Was it the episode with the reverse flash, or was that the se- mid-season finale? No, the episode with the reverse flash was last week. This week was um, was Peekaboo. 
Yeah, because the last the last episode I seen was the one with the reverse flash, and, and yeah, that was that was the, the week before last for yes, me. I seen that the week I seen that the week after Christmas mm, here in the okay. UK, and they they actually oh yeah, the, the one where they the one where they meet, yeah, yeah that they, was that was that was the, the finale, and then and then we have some more stuff with uh, with um, Wells when we meet Hartley Rathaway, the Pied Piper which is the episode before this one. And then this one is a continuation of that with some more stuff about, um, about Firestorm and, and Ronnie Raymond and what happened with all of that. So all, all, of, all of the storylines are sort of building. Plus we get more of John Wesley ship and a very, again, touching scene with Barry. Yeah, because they, uh, they introduced the Grinagrod at the tail end of the uh, last episode that I've seen. He did, didn't have a speaking role, he was just sort of, you know, um, the, the scientist guy. That- yes, but there's, there's more to it than that, because in the, in the scene in the episode that I just saw, um, they had the, the main plot, that played out, and then they were down in the sewers where Grod is hiding out. He's apparently, he's writing his, names on, he's writing his name, Grod, on the wall of the sewer. And... Um, killing people who stumble upon him and you actually see Grodd full on kind of half in shadow, but mostly full on. And there had been a tweet earlier where um, the executive producers were fanboying over the fact that they had seen the, the early VFX for that. So they were, they were looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. So, so we're, we're, we're going to get Grodd. Whether, at the, I don't know at what point we'll get the, the full episode of Grodd, but we're going to get Grodd. Yeah, do you know? Do you know? You know, a good DC villain that they should introduce, maybe. Um, I mean, they seem to be using a lot of Batman villains and Superman villains at the moment, because Grodd's mm-hmm. a Superman villain, I think, traditionally. Um, mm-hmm. They should. In- they should introduce Killer Croc. He would be cool. He would be cool, but he would also require CGI. Yeah, but could, they could introduce Killer Croc to Arrow. I reckon they could. They could. He would work there. Yeah, because I think he'd um, probably work better in an urban setting than, than, than Star City. Yeah, Grodd will only work on The Flash. He's never going to cross over, I don't think. Yeah, I'll tell you something, uh, Reese. If you, if you enjoy Arrow, it might be worth you checking out uh, DC Comics' uh, the, the Green Arrow, Year One. I'll see, it's, I'll see. It's by, uh, it's by Andy Diggle with, with artwork by Jock. And it's basically the uh, origin story of the Green Arrow, mm. um, but told told in modern times. Um, so mm. it's, um, so, and it's and it's pretty much the template of what what CW used for, for the Arrow. Mm. That would explain why they uh, they named Diggle Diggle on the show. Mm-hmm. Yep, and Andy Diggle, Diggle. <laughs> yes. And and um, and Jock. They're not they've not got a character called Jock yet on the show, haven't they? No, um, not ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, Jock was the artist. <laughs> mm. um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so like, um, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving the Flash, um, I'm, and um, I, I obviously in, enjoy Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's move on to a show that we've uh, not really discussed that much um, in recent weeks, which has just ended in the UK, but ended for you guys about two weeks ago in the uh, Librarians. Oh my God! Okay. They need to get a season two because yes, they resolved enough for that to be a standalone if, if that's the way it works out. But they they leave enough open that I, there are some questions I want answered. Primarily, I would like to know what their their full version of their version of the Arthurian legends is because the the impression I'm left with based on based on what played out as of the finale is that the 
the triangle, the Arthur Guinevere Lancelot triangle, is the least of what went wrong. And is Dumok actually dead, or, or is he still alive? Because we've seen him run through with a sword at the end, didn't we, so... Yes, yes. And I'll tell you about Dumok. I kind of figured out he was Lancelot fairly early, to the point where, even though they tried to misdirect us with a, a different spelling of his name on the show, I was instinctively correcting it to the spelling it should be mm-hmm. on, the, on the comments on reviews and things. Because well. <laughs> I kind of figured it out. Well, my um, my my recent review of the uh, series of the season finale, um, it's actually got nine replies. It it was very popular, and to the point where TNT even released a um, a survey about it, about what you liked and didn't like about it, and what you'd like to see more of and maybe less of and whatnot. So they they're obviously getting tons of feedback. Yeah. And constant. Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just cool because I've had nine replies. <laughs> so yeah. Like um, and they're all pretty much mirroring what you said. Uh, thoroughly enjoying the show for, for, for you know, the librarians. Um, it seems to be mostly women that have a that have a serious crush on Christian Kane. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so I've become I basically become um, the, the, my my reviews have become a new a, a new hangout for women that are, that are a drooling over Christian Kane. Which is not a bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing, you know. Um, but you know. How could I possibly compete with Christian Kane? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the, you know, some 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 of the non 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 Christian Kane uh, things. Uh, that being said, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. Like this, there's a lady here called uh, Louise Shive. Um, she's actually said that the threads of the Arthurian legend came together, but with enough space to revisit it in in the next season, which pretty much mirrors what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. But she adds, there wasn't enough of my favourite Christian Kane as usual, but maybe the second season will remedy that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think what they should do is they should do they should just uh, like uh, maybe change the name of the show to The Librarian, starring Christian Kane. <laughs> maybe. What do you think? Would <laughs> be a bit much. I have I have to say that as finales go. Um, regardless of whether the show is re- is renewed or not, the structure of the finale was excellent. Um, the the way that they tied a lot of the previous episodes and the artifacts and storylines from those previous episodes into the final one was was really well done. They obviously had thought it through. I I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed the series as a whole, uh, um, and and as 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 a sole guy here in in this uh, Marvin, um I, I'm so like absolutely drooling over Lindy Booth. She's awesome, and, and you're you're right in your in your review. My my favorite uh, my favorite alternate universe was the one where she was the librarian. Mm, because the, the 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 thing was, she was so much more confident as the librarian than she is as a character throughout the whole. Because she's probably the least confident of of of, of the of the of the characters. You know, she's got more more issues. She's confident in her mathematics with her own particular niche, but. Um, as as an individual, she's sort of like not say as confident and as sure as herself as 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 the, as the other characters. I have a feeling that has a lot to do with the fact that she's got a brain tumor, you know, and she's got she's operating relative to that, and just she's just having really really uh, a bag of emotions relative to all of that, and so she's not she's not as centered as she could be because because the, the the version of her in that alternate reality had had dealt with the brain tumor. Yeah, and she and she was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Um, in in um in 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 boots. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you know, she she's absolutely rocking the magic, and uh, I thought I thought Ezekiel's uh, the alternate universe Ezekiel was funny as well. I mean, it's all like, yes. uh, that that comment that Baird made. So it's just typical you, you sort of like um, charging charging for your services as a librarian. Yes. No. But because and apart from anything else, Ezekiel's universe was fun because you could totally see that happening. You know, the librarian zigs when he should have zagged, and something goes wrong, and suddenly ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all like it, it tied in really nicely as well with um with with what what would happened in the um in 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 the actual series, and what what I also liked about the episode, the last episode, was was the fact that. They, you know, they actually strung a few of the artifacts together that were actually used, that were actually mm-hmm. found throughout the series, and and they, those artifacts were actually used at the end of the day to resolve the problem. Yes, yes. Um, if I have one criticism, it's that they killed um, Leslie Ann Brandt's Lamia a little, a little too quickly. I was hoping she'd last a little longer. That was sudden. Yeah, so so was I, but. Um, obviously, again, for completely different reasons than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm probably mirroring those reasons that um, all, all these women are going crazy over over Christian Kane. Um, yes. I say, yeah. I want more Leslie Ann Brandt. I, I say, give her her own show. <laughs> I, I, I sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. My, my one problem with it is if they, if they were going to go that route, they, should, they, should, they needed to do a little bit more build-up. I mean, it was kind of implied that she was a bit in love with Duloc, but not, not as implied as it needed to be. There should have been just a teensy bit more build-up than they did. Yeah, I mean, it was almost, um, it almost felt like throwaway. Yeah. But it was glad she got a moment to shine um, within, within Cassandra's universe as Cassandra's security guard. That was that was that was pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah, that, I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool um, to see. And my my cat saw like uh, agreeing with us here. Mm, I can hear him. Yeah. Um, he, he's just being a little git because he basically wants to come on my knee and go sleep. So that's why he's meowing. Mm. He's just so like he's, he's being a grumpy sod. Um, but overall, I, I've enjoyed the series. Um, I, I was surprisingly entertained by the haunted house episode. Yes, and for me, the um, the most compelling scene was the point at which Cassandra was made to actually confront the tumor. Because when you, you realize that the the emotional punch of the episode was that, and and that 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 the series as a whole had been kind of building toward that. Um, so I, I really kind of appreciated that. Yeah, um, and you know, I've got to admit, I've, I quite enjoyed the fact that Christian Kane. In in the series, um, now I'm sounding a bit obsessed. Um, but, but I've quite enjoyed the fact that you know he's not being able to fight properly in the series. In you know in in Leverage, he was so like uh, he was like the embodiment of a confidence or like kung fu karate um, you know specialist in unarmed combat. Yeah, where, where, yeah. Whereas in this, about the best he gets to do is actually smug somebody. <laughs> it's more like a bar. It's more like a barroom brawler than it is an actual sort of like um, trained killer. Yeah, yeah. The, the the contrast has been fun. It's yeah. been very fun. It's, it's been fun to see that, and uh, and you know I should imagine that's really hard for somebody like Christian who's who's had all this martial arts training to do. Yeah, and I and I really appreciated when you did that John Rogers interview that he brought that up. You know, and the fact that Christian Kane is now having to like, sort of reorient himself. Mm-hmm. 
and and that's that's a funny thing. That John Rogers interview is still getting getting quite a bit of traffic. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it was a song like it was. Um, I was looking on Twitter the other day at the at, at the feed for the NAS review that I did, and um, they, they started retweeting that interview. Mm. So you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to get an interview with some of the cast. Yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, let's let's sort of like move on to the uh, reimagining um, of Agent Gas. Okay, well, flying uh, in from uh, somewhere within uh, a country all of her own is Britain. <laughs> Yeah, he's a country a, on my own. Who's <laughs> um, who's actually uh, come to join us to uh, discuss uh, Agent Carter? Um, admitting we were having a strange sense of deja vu here, but Agent Carter, let's let's go. Britain, you have the floor. Oh, okay. Um, well, let me get a general consensus. How much do people enjoy it out of you two? How much do you guys enjoy it? I'm 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 really enjoying. This because I I'm a sucker for period pieces. Um, I'm kind of the 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 exception to the normal. Uh, modern audiences don't tend to like period pieces with this kind of thing, but I really enjoy it. I was saying to Ian before that um, my my one issue with it is that, and this isn't particular to Agent Carter, but just generally it might be generational. Um, I grew up in the the seventies and eighties when I got mostly episodic stuff. And so even though I really enjoy a certain number of, uh, serialized shows, I'm, I'm kind of jonesing for just some straight up, you know, standalone narratives. Oh, okay. Um, well, good. This, this will be, this will be good. Cause we can point counterpoint because I'm not enjoy. I'm, I'm not enjoying the show at all. <laughs> Oops. And it's not that I'm not enjoying it at all. Because I, I think Haley Atwell is phenomenal. I, brilliant. I, I could watch her all day. Yeah, the cast um, is brilliant all, all through. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not that. I think when it comes down, and the show looks great, it, like I'm a huge Mad Men fan. I'm for anything that, that puts us in that world. I really am. Yeah. But uh, there, there's just some stuff with the writing that I, I just can't get over. Um, maybe, I, I don't know. I think... To get back to Mad Men, Mad Men sort of showed us that you can have misogynistic, drinking, um, philandering characters, but still honestly care about them. And it's always jarring because in Peggy's world, she's the woman, they're the guys, and you don't really, I don't really feel for them at all. And I don't think I'm supposed to. Like, they're not um, giving me a lot to go on to care about these male characters. I don't think they're misogynistic enough. <laughs> I, I honestly don't. I think, I think they're kind of tame, to be honest. That's, the That's thing. probably if true. I'm, I'm, That's the thing. If you're going to be misogynistic, be really misogynistic. But they're just sort of the sort of, oh, get us coffee. Oh, why aren't you getting us coffee yet? You know, I've not seen one of them grab her ass yet. Exactly. Where no. where's that? Where's that moment? That's and, really and, if she's oppressed, let's make her oppressed. And, and to, be, to be honest, I think in that in that particular time period, that would have been the sort of thing that would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the cheeky the cheeky ass grab sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that she should be grateful that they find her attractive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Although um, I don't know if you've seen through la- uh, last night's episode there. They did something to rehabilitate Thompson last night. I did. I saw it. And I have a friend that I've watched this whole series with. 
And I leaned over to him and I said, so now that we know all that, do you care about him? And he was like, no, not really. Because now, now he's actually a bastard for how he treats Agent Carter. But on top of it, he slaughtered a bunch of innocent Japanese people. This is true. This is true. <laughs> so sort of a, a douchebag hat on top of a douchebag hat. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, and I think part of that might be the fact that they've got, they're limited to eight episodes. Because they, they might be able to do more if they had more episodes. By the same token, if they had too many more, they'd have filler. So I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think, but maybe this is just me. But yeah. I, I sort of felt that the that the pacing of the show was a little slow for the for the second and third episodes. Like I really, I as strange as some of the moments were last night, I really enjoyed last night's episode, which is where she meets up with Captain America's old crew. You get great scenes with Dum Dum, and it, there's but there's a lot of action. There's a lot of you know Agent Carter shooting rifles and people shooting back at them and running around and just. A lot of action, uh, I and I missed that episodes. over the course of the series. Yeah, I think, and I've and I've read interviews with the showrunners in which they basically said that the the from episode five on, it just sort of goes like a freight train. Like the first four episodes are almost set up. Um, yeah, so. like you should. I don't know. I'd, uh, I can see that, but I can also. I don't know if they were like trying to lure us in, but I think they could have lured it. Like in the first episode where she's fighting that guy on top of the car. Yes. I was so pumped. I was like, yes, more of that. Yes, and I don't yes. think we needed two, three to be devoid of that for us to be into it. You know? This is true. This is true. I, I thought it was a fun moment in, in, in the first episode where, you know, the, the, the waitress in the, uh, in, in, in the restaurant that, 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 that she goes to, that she frequents, uh, she, she's getting harassed by that guy. And, and Peggy sort of like, uh, you know, gets something up against this guy's uh, throat or a nerve, end, nerve ending cluster or something and um, suggests he eat elsewhere. I thought that was pretty cool. I like that. Uh, yes, yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of like that moment as set up. But I think, I think one of the problems was is may, maybe there was way, way, way too much expositional junk going on in the first couple of episodes. Whereas maybe they should have maybe sort of like uh, respected the audience's intelligence enough to actually just drop them right into the middle of um, the average day of, age, of, of Agent Peggy Carter as opposed to sort of like uh, setting up and introducing all these characters the way they have. Yeah, but then I'm not, I, I agree with you, but then I'm not a fan of, of exposition generally. I regard it as a necessary evil at best. Yeah. Um, unless you're talking about audios where it's basically required because you're missing the visual input, but short of that, it's like, why? You, know, you don't really need it. I mean, the only the only male characters that I like in this show really is um, I like Jeeves. I think Jeeves is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, the, 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 yeah, Jarvis. Yes. And Jarvis. Jarvis sorry. Is very good. And I also I also kind of like the um, her, her her disabled colleague. You know that that works. Susa, yes. yeah, Susa. I think Susa's a pretty pretty interesting character, and I think you know I, th I think he's kind of like being underused. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. I feel like deep down, Susan is an interesting character, but I mean, when I first saw him, I sort of rolled my eyes because I was like, oh, he's the good guy because he's disabled, and when you're disabled, you magically have empathy for other people, like yeah. women. And yeah. that was sort of a very, like, all right, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I just wanted him to whack her across the ass with his cane, you know? That, 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 that <laughs> might have actually... 
Yeah. Don't mind about me song. I made him a real character. <laughs> it would make him a little complex. It would also give him... I, I really find it strange that none of the guys really express any sort of sexuality towards Agent Carter. Like, they're all willing to admit, oh, yes, she's beautiful, but I wouldn't touch her. And it's like, yeah. well, why? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the waitress character is interesting to me, because when I first saw the waitress character, who's also an actress, I thought, okay, that's the double agent. She's yeah. got to be. Yeah. Like, she's got to be a double agent because there, she has no reason to be that in your face, knocking on Peggy's door, dragging her down to lunch, so hurt when Peggy doesn't want to hang out with her. She wouldn't play those emotions unless she was a double agent. But now that we do know who the double, who the female double agent is, I'm sort of like, oh, well, is she just, was the waitress, was she a fake? Are we never going to see her again? Oh. Was it just a waste getting to know that character? It's very strange. Or is she just incredibly needy? <laughs> but that's the thing. I'm like, oh, she's a woman. She just wants a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to the, uh, the episode that you guys have just seen because uh, the one thing that I really, really loved about the Captain America First Avenger movie, other than Captain America, of course, was the, was the Howling Commandos. Oh, they're so good. I love those guys. Yeah. You know? Those sort of guys you just want to hang out with. They are. And actually, when I was watching this, my first thought was, when I was watching last night's episode, my first thought was, oh, man, they should make a Howling Commandos TV show. And then I was like, wait, we're seeing what they can do with Peggy Carter, so maybe that's a bad idea. Maybe they should just have your own movie. Because a Howling Commandos movie would be great. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, and it, it, it's, it's actually perfectly viable for them to do that as well, because, um, you know, the Howling Commandos were actually introduced in, in the, uh, you know, in, in, in the Nick Fury comics. You know, mm. kind of like he, he was actually their leader sort of thing. So they could actually maybe backtrack and find somebody to replace uh, Samuel L. Jackson as a Nick Fury, you know, a younger version, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, and do that movie. Yeah. Uh, the other... One, one thing that I kept noticing in, like, the, the middle of the series, because now we're coming to the tail end of it, um, I, I almost think that maybe they didn't have enough faith in Agent Carter as a character, because as we said, Haley Atwell is amazing. But I don't think they had enough uh, belief in her as a character to carry a whole series, because there would be huge chunks of like the second, third, and fourth episodes where she wouldn't be involved. Like it would just center on her coworkers who we didn't really like, or it would center on Jeeves. Uh, Jeeves. Yeah. It would center yeah. on Jarvis. Yeah. You know, just these whole five, six minute scenes that just had nothing to do with Agent Carter. And the, you know, like if you watch Arrow, you're going to see a heck of a lot of Arrow. If you watch a Captain America movie, 90% of the time, he's going to be on screen. And yeah. it's just very strange to watch Agent Carter, and there are whole scenes that have nothing to do with her yeah. on a really regular basis. When I watch Arrow, I just want to see a hang of a lot of more of a Talia Al Ghul. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's because I've got a huge crush on the, uh, on, on, on the actress that plays her, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Nissa, yes. Yeah, Nissa Algoon. Yeah. They've, they've, yeah. they've not bought Talia Algoon in it yet, no. No, no, they haven't brought her in. She might not exist. 
And um. That's uh, <laughs> you know. They, you see, yeah, that's strange. That, that's really too bad because you could actually bring in the uh, the other actress from Spartacus Blood and Sun to play Talia. Yeah. They kind of look yes. like. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've kind of in I've kind of enjoyed a Agent Carter as a whole, but I think I think I think uh, Britain's actually on something. They they could have made it a whole lot more edgier. They could have made the guys, you know, more characters, and you know, made them maybe perhaps a bit more uh, misogynistic, <laughs> and, and turned Agent Souza into a double agent bad guy, and his and his walking sticks are really machine guns. Yeah, the, the problem with that is that, and I'm and I'm speaking now as somebody who's actually in a wheelchair. The problem with that is the evil crip is a trope. Yeah. And so you can only get away with so much of that. A little bit of it here and there, but, you know. And the problem with that is The Flash is a case in point. In, in Dr. Wells, first you thought you had what could be the potentially the evil crypt trope, but then you, have the, um, then you have the guy who's faking the disability for plot reasons trope, which is a second trope. Um, so, I mean, there, there, there are issues with that. You have to tread very, very carefully. And I really um, thought, I really thought in the first episode of Agent Carter with the guys who can't talk and their voice boxes, I thought that was going to be a, a trope. But then it really seemed like they're not bad guys because they were disabled. It just seems like it was just almost a character trait. Yes, yeah. So that was good. That was a good bullet dodge. But then they disappeared, and we haven't seen anything to do with them since. No, no. And I, th- I think part of the problem is that they're trying to do too much in eight episodes. And it frankly doesn't look like they'll get renewed. The ratings don't look good. Yeah, and it's so sad because when you look if you look at if you look at the episodes as just little chunks. Yeah. Um they're they they you can tell that it was written sort of you do this one, you do this one, you do this one, you do this one. And it doesn't seem like anyone went through and actually connected all the dots. Mm. Because I don't know. I can't remember which episode it was. I think it was the third episode. There was that side character who was one of the guys she worked with, and he was like the big oaf. He's the oafish guy. Oh, Kaminsky. Doesn't wear a t- yeah. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't wear a tie to work. He's a little chubby. He's the oaf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the oafish guy. Mm-hmm. And he, like, the, the episode opens with a girl with a prostitute rest recognizing him like in this seedy hotel yes so this isn't and we have never we've only seen him you know he really cares about eating he doesn't care about work he has never shown that he is any sort of capable agent they just sort of use him to punch people but then he dies in the episode and everyone is miserable Yes. I mean, she walks into that room where the girls are actually answering phones, which really sad they're not more of the story. Yes. And all of these girls are morbidly depressed and silent. And have you heard about Krasinski? Yeah. And I was really hoping that she would walk in there and the girls are having a party. Like yes. they're drinking, they're cutting a cake, they're like, sweet, we don't have to deal with him anymore. And then she yeah. goes to the men's side and they're sad because they legitimately lost a friend. Yes. No, everybody's sad. Everyone's talking about what a good agent he was. She cries about him. Yeah. But he was a good agent. And it's like, no, he, he really wasn't. 
let's be honest, he was, I'm sorry he's dead, no one should be dead, but all we've seen of him is that he cheats on his wife, and he's just a a bore. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just just wondering why all those women were sad for him, you know, did did he have some sort of like hidden traits that they weren't talking, telling us about, that only these women knew about? Yeah, and we would have... We would have loved to know about them as an audience. We want complex characters who are like Don Draper and who are shameless womanizers, but are really good fathers or something. Yes, yeah. But the series did not bother to tell us or show us any of that. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if he was actually married to every single one of them women. If he was actually actually a bigamist, but he was actually sort of kind of out in the open and and they were all married to him. Yeah. Uh, I, to, to, address the stru- to address the structural issues, I think part of the problem is I, I read in another interview um, that the showrunners, um, Butters and Fizekas, I think their names are, um, one of them is married to the one of the Arrow EPs, came in after the pilot was written. So the pilot was written. They came in, and then mm-hmm. they, they riffed off of the pilot, which already existed. And I think there may have been some breakdowns. So, so the polite way of putting that is, uh, the pint was written. They came in and fucked it all up. <laughs> Not, I don't think it, they didn't. They did a lot right. They just tried to do it in eight episodes. I think part of the problem is they needed more time. Maybe more time. And here's the thing: typically, pilots are different than the series. That's that's normal because yeah. when you sell a show, you sell it on the pilot. So people typically have months or a year to make a pilot really good. And then you sort of scramble over the course of a few months to write the rest of the episodes. Yeah. I, th- I think what it mainly was is now that, because you, you can't tell this from like just watching the second or third episode, but now that we're sort of seeing the shape of it, I think it was a problem in tone. Mm-hmm. Because the first episode, as strange as some of it was, like, you had some cool stuff happening, like, with the guys with no voices and these explosions and these little trinkets and... I feel like there was a lot going on, but it was all in the same tone. And then as it moves on, I almost feel like they slowed down. And so instead of having all this stuff happening, this one episode is about a trinket. Yes. Mm-hmm. This one episode is about a guy. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, but you can tell that they're different. You can tell it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think and part of the problem too is that ABC is owned by Disney. Yeah. And I think, and and and, and and Marvel is not owned by Disney, and so there may be Disneyfication going on, for lack of a better word. Oh yeah, I'm sure that is absolutely why no one has smacked Peggy a good one. I am yeah. absolutely sure that's why. But there, and I can I can understand that. Like I grew up watching videotapes, but I grew up watching videotapes of Doctor Who with my grandparents, and it was nice to have something that they could put on no nothing offensive was going to happen and just enjoy with me like yeah. that's cool are, yeah. are you kidding me you know so like half the violent scenes of, of, of hands grabbing people by the throat in classic Doctor Who episodes and and disembodied hands walking around there used to be this uh there used to be this sort of like queen of moral moral of morality to do with television back in the day here in the UK mm. called Mary Whitehouse and she'd write in um, at the slightest hint of violence on Doctor Who, she'd write in about it and complain and start 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 an anti Doctor Who campaign and 
and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I think the, I think the current series of Doctor Who is quite tame in comparison to the classic. Oh no, there. I know one that she got all being her bonnet about was the one where um, Tom Baker is. The last shot is him being um, drowned. Some someone drowning him. <laughs> Yeah, it's it quite a horrific image to live on, but oh, it's it's so good. You should, kids should know that scary stuff can happen to you in the world. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised she didn't complain about the one where Tom Baker had his hands uh, surreptitiously hidden in his pockets. Oh. Oh. Okay. She probably didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, she probably didn't un- understand that one at all. Or yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but with, with with the whole whole agent card thing, it's just in, it's it's just so like uh, so much tamer than it than it than it could have been. Um, I think we've hit nail on the head. I mean, you know, she got hit the other day the other day by by somebody in it. You know, she 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 got into a scrap and the the guy guy managed to get a shot in, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. 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 And she didn't even have a bloody nip or a bloody nose or anything like that. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. She can't. She she's untouchable. She's that good. That it's it's also it's very strange because we keep watching the show and they're like, "Whoa, I need soldiers," and we're just like, "Have Tommy Lee Jones call him. You were a soldier." Yeah. Like all of this is. T- but last night and last night, I think they finally hit Peggy's tone, which is really sad for the fifth episode with such a great character. But when, you know, oh, they need a code cracked. Yeah. She doesn't get a device from Howard Stark. She doesn't get led around by her tail. She literally walks in and says, hi, I have prior knowledge because I'm a character that has existed long before this miniseries and I'm now going to use it to help you. <laughs> and we don't get we don't get moments like that. We don't see her history. No. And this character's long, long history. Yeah. You know? Um, so, um, have, have we kind of exhausted Agent Carter this week? Uh, I'm exhausted by Agent Carter. Yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah you know, so like, um, okay, well, um, I think, I think that's probably a good, 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 uh, note to, uh, end on. Um, okay. I'd like to thank you, Britain, for, you know, coming and joining us. It's been great having you on. Thank you for um, waiting for me. Oh no, no worries. Um, and and thanks, Raisa, for for oh, being with us. It's been, you know, it's it's been been fun having having um, having two people, two different, two you know, two very different perspectives on the show. I think. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been real fun. Well, on that note, I think uh, I think it's a uh, probably a good time for me to uh, introduce our interview this week, which is with uh, Lisa Bowerman, who's uh, pretty well known for her work with Big Finish as both. Um, as both a director and an actress sort of thing. So um, we're just going to move right on to that now. I'd like to welcome uh, Lisa Bowerman to the show. Um, She's um, an actress director um, with Big Finish Productions. She's done television, theatre, 
uh, you've done a lot, haven't you? <laughs> I've, I've been very lucky, but at the same time, you know, as an actor, you have to try and uh, diversify as much as you can, basically just to keep in work. So um, I, I, find, I seem to have found, um, I've tripped up on a niche when it came to Big Finish, so I feel very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny one. Have you ever done musical theatre? <laughs> Uh, yes, I have actually. Um, I mean, I, I, when I was at drama school, uh, my final show was a, a musical. I was sort of considered the, the singer of the year, but um, it was a singer in my year, that is. And uh, subsequently, I've done a kind of musical version. I did a sort of music theatre piece called The Shepherd's Life um, that was at Salisbury Playhouse. I did a music theatre piece at the Battersea Arts Centre called Wedlock, the Opera. Mm-hmm. And I've done Blood Brothers. And I've also done, uh, I actually used to do quite a lot of panto, so um, I've done that in anger a few times, but I haven't, I haven't sung for money for a long time, <laughs> apart from for the Scorches, of course, with uh, Jacob and Lightfoot. Cool. Well, Unwood Brothers, that, that's, um, that's, that's um, a Liverpool-based play, right? That's right, yeah. I did it on tour for about 15 months. Um, it was a while, quite a few years ago now. And um, I was playing Mrs. Lyons, who I don't know if people know Blood Brothers at all, but I played Mrs. Lyons, who was the other mother of the twin, mm-hmm. who adopted one of the twins. And I also understudied um, Mrs. Johnston. Um, and I, I have a bit of a horror story on that because the actress who was playing Mrs. Johnston at the time went off halfway through a show at the Birmingham Hippodrome, which is a big old theatre, and I'd only been doing my own job a, a couple of weeks and, and really not had a, much of an understudy, not many, many understudy rehearsals. And I was literally thrown on halfway through, and it, it was that was a bit of a christening of fire, but I got through it. <laughs> so I, I played Mrs Johnston and Mrs Lyons at the end of the day. Oh, don't you love those horror stories? Uh... <laughs> it was like an actor's nightmare. It was, because I'd had so little preparation, I think it, it all kind of, it was like a car crash everything went in slow motion and all <clears throat> excuse me all the other cast had been in the tour for quite a while and they'd all understudied their parts before so they all moved up a part and I could see their sort of slight look of horror when, when it all started happening but uh, I just about managed to get away with it I think. I remember directing um, a segment of A Midsummer Night's Dream for my mm-hmm. uh, for my BTEC national yeah and I had this small group of actors, and what happened, um, similar to experience to you, actually, um, the actor that we had playing Puck yeah. uh, decided to drop out of course. Oh, no. <laughs> so I wound, up, I wound up directing, which I'd never done before, <laughs> um, and I had completely no idea what I was doing. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure you did. I wound up playing Puck. <laughs> Oh, no. So, Did you enjoy it? Not really, no. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I don't really. I don't really enjoy doing Shakespeare because of the, uh, because, because of the speech pattern sort of thing. Oh, I, I, I think no, some, uh, some are easier than others. You know, I, I'm, I, I had discussions with, with a friend of mine who, who's a, a very good actress, actually, who I've employed for a couple of, uh, of big finishes. And um, we, we actually discuss... Uh, how it, it sometimes isn't the pupils it's how Shakespeare is taught in schools and, and you've got to remember you know Shakespeare's a, a play not something to kind of not, not something to pick apart and to try and remember it's uh, you know I think you've got to get up and perform it really then it all starts making sense once you've got your 
head in the gear and the rhythm of the language, actually, it, it does come a little bit easier. Not, though, if you're thrown on in the middle of a show playing Puck, you're probably not that well prepared. So uh, I think you'd be let off for not enjoying that much. Well, to be honest, it was kind of like my introduction to Shakespeare. We just oh, had no, to, you know, that, that really does put you off for life, and that's we, the case. We just had to, you know... Um, everyone else on the course had done a bit of Shakespeare because obviously, you know, with their school background, they they sort of like, you know, dealt with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, with my background, um, the schools I went, they never really taught it. They never really taught drama. <laughs> so. oh, well, I, I think that's the I mean, the thing is that obviously Shakespeare is taught within the English syllabus, but I, I do think it, it should be taught in English and in drama, and, and the two should be able to cross over more because it's there's such fabulous stories and there's so much brilliant language in there that I, I think it's a, it's a great shame that people get so scared of it, but I think the teachers have got to, you know, grab hold of this and, and you know, make it a bit more interesting, mm-hmm. <laughs> she says. And, and, and not listening to the education minister at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. Um, well, actually, in order to prepare for this interview, like I said before, I actually um, had a little look around to see yeah, see various things you did. And uh, what, one of the things I found, and I was pleasantly surprised by this, is that you was actually in Sylvester McCoy's final Doctor Who story, Survival. I was, yeah, I played Cara. That's, mm-hmm. that's how Sylvan and Sophie and I met. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that was a bit of a, a mad job because it was it was a very last minute piece of casting. Um, somebody had backed out at the last minute because uh, they needed somebody to be able to ride a horse. Um, I happened to ride a horse and I happened to know the director because um, he directed me when I used to be a, a regular in Casualty back in the early days. So I, I went in and I had an interview with him and to cut an extremely long story short, um, I got the job uh, the next day after I went to do, do a sort of test ride at the uh, stables in Rickmansworth and um, everything happened very, very quickly. So I was suddenly whiz- whisked off to have a, a head cast for the mask and denture fittings for the teeth and contact lenses for the yellow eyes. I mean, it was completely mad. And then, of course, I ended up being covered in fun fur and um, riding around a, a sand pit in 95 degrees. <laughs> it's cool. quite a bonding experience, I have to say. Yeah, that, that would have been what? That would have been the... Uh... Summer of 89, or was it? That's right, that's right, summer of 89. Although, um, uh, technically, it was the last one that was broadcast, I think they went on to make Ghost Light after that. So, um, although we, uh, Survivor was the last one to be broadcast in terms of what they call the classic series, uh, I know that, that the guys had gone on to, to uh, film after that another episode but it was it was quite an extraordinary experience and of course Doctor Who in those days was was really on the wane um when the one that I did came out it was on a Thursday evening opposite Coronation Street I mean really it was it was not given the love it is now and I I find this turnaround absolutely extraordinary just extraordinary Mm. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad it's back, but I, I, I wish for the days of the old series when it was a little bit slower and there was a little bit more work on the characters and, and stuff I like think, that sometimes. Yeah, I, I think the pressures of modern television are, are very different. I mean, you could say that some of the classic ones went on a little bit too long. I mean, when you're into kind of six and seven episodes, you think, oh, blimey, you know. But uh, I do, I, I did like during the first episode of the new lot, uh, that was, sorry, the first series of the, of the new lot, when they, when they had a couple of two episode stories, I think that gives you much more opportunity to flesh out the characters. 
But in 50 minutes, it's, it's a wham, bam, you know, let's tell the story and get on with it. And, uh, and that's the nature of modern television. It's, it's the way that things are made these days. So I suppose that's, that's you know, we can be nostalgic, but um, whether that'll ever happen again, I don't, I don't know. So um, obviously when you filmed Survival, you wouldn't have known that it was going to be the last episode based on the fact that you said that the film Ghost Night afterwards. Um... Yeah, I don't know. that. I mean, there were sort of rumblings, but as far I think I, I, I know that I'm sure that Sylvester and Sophie are on record to say that as far as they were concerned, they were pretty much sure that there was another series that was going to happen after that. I mean, actually, J, J and T, um, sorry, John Nathan Turner said to me... Um, uh, over a, a drink one evening in Dorset that, you know, because I, I hadn't been recognised, he said, oh, I'm sure we can get you back for something else because because you're playing a monster, nobody will know who you are. So, you know, that that was, uh, I mean, that, you, know, you hear these things, you don't expect it to come to, to fruition. But um, I think everybody was very sad when it was, uh, when it was shelved, to be honest. But I also think sometimes you need a little gap away in order to be able to reinvent things. I just don't think anybody thought it was going to be quite so long. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely gutted. I was absolutely gutted when it went away because I've always on the way. Yeah, during that, those last two series, the stories were actually getting better. Yeah, they, they were terrific, weren't they? they were. I agree. And it's like anything, you know, you go through. You've got to show faith to something. I, I think again, it's it's quite well known historically that that Michael Grade wasn't keen on the show. Um, and once you have somebody who's not backing what you're doing, it's very difficult to carry on in in any you know way that's constructive because you're always looking over your shoulder the whole time i don't think there would have been any problem with with going away for a couple of years but i think the bbc at that point really just didn't know didn't know what it had on its hands and i i do think it, it takes somebody with with the passion for the show and the influence of somebody like um russell t davis to have brought it back if there was one person in the world who was going to make it a success it was going to be russell and i i think he did a splendid job i really do it's amazing it, you know, it, and it's also funny how much criticism that the, these these producers, you know, fall for, you know, from from the fan base as well. I mean, people, oh, well, people I think fans, <laughs> I think fans of any show have there's a sense of possession about the show, and and sometimes you'd like to think that they could let go just for five minutes to say, you know, somebody will have their take on it, and there's going to be lovers and haters, whatever you do. I mean, whether it's, you know, uh, Doctor Who or whether it's, um, I know, quiz shows or anything, there are always people who are passionate about uh, how they feel. It's just that um, with the internet now, of course, uh, you just hear much more about it in in more, you know... um, prosaic terms I mean you know people are quite rude I have to say sometimes but yeah um, I'm quite guilty of it myself but I, I always try to uh, back it up <laughs> with, with something constructive I, I think constructive yeah constructive is fine but you've got to understand you know that these these guys that the producers don't not love what they do and you know they will see it some ways and it, it's like anything it's like stars of clothes it, it, it's, a, it's a taste thing you know, and um, you can't please all the people all the time. But I absolutely believe that everybody who's been in charge, certainly of Doctor Who, have been absolutely passionate 
about what they make, you know, mm-hmm. really do. I, I agree with you because it actually shows, uh, I mean, certainly Russell T. Davis it showed and it show, showed with Stephen Moffat, but I think there's yeah. a, I think the action comes a point where maybe they hang around a, a little bit too long and they get a little bit tired and, you know, it's, and, and to where I mean, human sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, it's very difficult because from a performer's point of view, it, you don't, I mean, you can have an opinion about something, but you don't know what the politics is behind the scenes. You don't know whether actually it's somebody's choice or somebody's been said, yeah, can you stay for another year? Um, because there are so many people, even above the showrunners uh, and within the television industry as, as well, it's changed so much from 20, 30 years ago that the structure of, of, of television dictates sometimes that people do stay on longer. You do, I mean, it's we all have an opinion, but it's very difficult to change that. Even. Okay, well, uh, very, very quickly, um, when, when, you was, when you was a kid... Uh, was, was you a Doctor Who fan? Did you watch it? I think, I think fan is probably the wrong word, but I most certainly watched it, absolutely. And I, I'm old enough, actually, to have kind of vague recollections of William Hartnell. Um, my brothers, uh, who are older than me, certainly watched it. So I, I'm probably pretty sure I would have been exposed to it at some point. My, my first proper memories are, are of Patrick Troughton, but I suppose the one that I remember the most because I was of that age was John Pertwee. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then actually, interesting, my, when I, who, how old was I? I can't remember now, but my brother was working at the, uh, who's also one of my other brothers, who's also an actor, um, was working at the Theatre Royal in Northampton when they were filming A Talent of Wen Chiang and uh, was actually in it. He played one of the stagehands just as, a, as an extra. And I remember getting Tom Baker's autograph. My brother brought it back for wow. me. It was very exciting. So that, that was pretty cool, you know, and I watched that. Yeah, Tom. You know, and so, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the show. And then, uh, frankly, after, after Tom Baker, I was probably getting a bit old for it, and then I went away to college. So I'm not really as au fait with the Peter Davison or Colin Baker era because I was away sort of working by that point. You didn't really miss much there. <laughs> oh. um, no, 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 no offence to uh, Peter or Colin. Funny enough, I, I was aware of the sort of fan base because um, uh, I think in the mid-80s I was doing a, a couple of plays at the Salisbury Playhouse with Mark Strickson and there were always people hanging around for Mark and, um, you know, asking for autographs. So, you know, you got a tiny idea of uh, what the guys uh, had in terms of, of of, of a fan base. Well, Peter's earlier episodes were pretty good. It's just unfortunately the writing started to sort of like pitter out um, in, in that particular yeah. era. And it kind of slowly got better once Sylvester McCoy took, took it over. It's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing that I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there are fans who will absolutely love the uh, Davis era and people who loathe uh, McCoy. I mean, it, it really is. It swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try not to get into arguments with those people. I'm always right. <laughs> agree, agree to disagree. That's the best thing. Yeah. Um, with, with Big Finish, uh, you, you, you got to originate the role of Bernie Summerfield. Uh, um, who seems to enjoy a drink or two. From what, she used from what to I've enjoy a drink or two. She doesn't drink so much nowadays, I have to say. Um, but I, I, I had my first experience of Bernie uh, with the release of, of the New Adventures last summer. Oh, right. So you'd not heard, you'd not heard Bernice before? No, I'd not heard any of any oh, wow. before. Wow, crikey. So. That, that's a surprise. <laughs> it's only because she's been going so long now. Um, I think it, it's very difficult for people who, who aren't aware of Bernice Summerfield because obviously she's been, I think she's been in existence for 23 years now since the New Adventure novels. Um, when I was first approached about it, um, in fact, it was three because I'd been interviewed years ago for a video called I Was a Doctor Who Monster. And it was Gary Russell who'd actually interviewed me. 
And um, somebody had remembered me, a friend of his had remembered me from that. And when they were thinking about, you know, casting Bernice, um, apparently my name came up. But it was actually, um, I remember being told about it and then it going in one ear and out the other. And I'd gone to see a, a friend in a, a play, um, the Romeo and Juliet on tour. And that was uh, Stephen Fuel, who uh, subsequently ended up playing Jason Kane, who's a character who's quite um, important in the Bernie Summerfield world. And he'd read all the new adventure books and was terribly excited about the fact that I was being seen for Bernie Summerfield and that I should definitely play her because she was an icon. So suddenly I was aware that there was this huge following for this character. And um, when I went to audition for it, um, which again is extremely well documented, but um, it was in Nick Briggs' front room with a microphone strapped to an uplighter um, in a room with uh, Gary, Jason Hay Gallery and, and Nick. And I'm thinking, crikey, what's all this about? And um, when I read the script, it was fairly obvious that the character was so strong that you could see why she was so popular. So uh, people who are devotees of the new adventures are obviously very, very familiar with the character. So it must be very difficult if you've, if you've never come across her to go, well, who is she? Um, uh, there's a little bit of discussion about the fact that being an archaeologist and keeping a diary and knowing the doctor was a, a little bit close to River Song for comfort. But I do think they're actually two, two very different characters. And she's definitely in the ilk of modern companion because she isn't a fool and she spars a lot more with the Doctor. Um, Big Finish recently adapted the very first novel that she appeared in called Love and War, which I don't know whether you'd heard or not. And when I when I did that, it was it was obviously after when I recorded it, rather, it was obviously 16 years after I'd 16 or 17 years after I'd actually um, recorded Bernice, first of all. Uh, and I was slightly worried that the character that I feel that I've been playing for so many years was going to be very different from this character that turned up in, in Love and War. But what I was really gratified about was that the character that Paul Cornell created was so strong that it was obviously the same person. So that, that was really good. And, and I think she's a good, fun character. She's very human. She doesn't have superhuman qualities. She's very fallible. But at the same time, you know, she has her weaknesses. You know, she likes an odd drink and she liked, she had the odd boyfriend here and there, you know. But she she has a very strong moral compass. And, you know, whether she gets it right or wrong, it's always for the right reasons. And I, I, I think the mixture of that and the humour uh, works for the character very well. And I think subsequently why she's become so popular, really. Well, me, me, being, <laughs> me being a shy and reserved guy that I am, I kind of found her quite likeable. <laughs> Oh, she is likable. I mean, that, that's another thing. I mean, crikey, if the character wasn't likable, I don't think she'd have hung around for quite so long in terms of uh, either in book form or, or, or in audio form, really. She's quite witty as well. Yeah. I mean, I've said I've said before, you know, that she does like the one-liners and, and, and the, the banter. Um, but but I, again, I'm on record as saying that if you put too much of that in, she becomes incredibly irritating. So I'm not usually very hands-on with the scripts, but if I if I think that there are too many jokes or too many gags in it, I will always say, you know, can we cut that one out or cut this one out? Because however tempting it is to do them, it, it can get a bit wearing at times. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I should imagine if you're writing a character like that, the temptation is, oh, oh, must get another one-liner in there. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Was... And it doesn't work because it, it then uh, undermines the, 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 the strength of it. Uh, and um, I think I think that's a pity. I, th- I think when she does come out with them, they're, they're brilliant. They're great fun to play. I mean, what an opportunity. So lucky. Well, you know, I think I think the gift of a one-liner, that, you know, the sort of one-liner that keeps on giving is the one that song that comes along in, in a tense moment when it's least expected oh yeah 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 there's a great line in in uh, a double disc of bernice's uh, called death and the daleks uh, which i won't say now but it, she, she's very disparaging about the daleks and it it, it has become, it's quite amusing <laughs> yeah, i like that line well you, you, we're going to be seeing you uh, in another bernie Ber- series of bernie adventures later this year where you're actually going to meet with sutek from yeah um, in the form of Gabrielle Wolf, the original Sutek. I think oh, yeah. it's brilliant. You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm just wondering oh, what, it, what, what can you tell us about, about, about that story? Well, about I mean, not, not, not a huge amount. They're, they're all set in slightly different times. But Sutek is, is the, through, the, the thread through the entire box set. And it is very much, I mean, compared to the first one, which was a little bit more psychological, uh, apart from Neb's first slightly manic, you know, uh, stereotypical Bernie story, um, it's it's a bit of an Indiana Jones sort of adventure, to be honest. Cool. Um, and it's it, it, there's a lot of action and a lot of pyramids. <laughs> That's all. Like I don't want to give too much away. And of course, you know, Sylvester and Sophia are in it as well. So uh, I, I love it. I, I think it, it's 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 really exciting, and it was so great to have um, Gabriel Wolf there as well. Yeah, Gabriel Wolf. Sorry, Gabriel. That's terrible, Gabriel. Gabriel. He's he's got he's, you know my my one Excellent. my one endearing memory of that that that, that uh, story is um, Gabriel's voice. Oh yeah, and it's still there. It's very scary. Have you heard the Have you heard the little uh, trailer for for it on the Big Finish site? I have not. I've not been wanting to listen to it. I think I think you should listen to. I mean, it's just a it's a little sting that he does at the end, which is the Big Finish announcement, which is quite scary. I'm, I'm kind of. I'm a bit. I'm a bit uh, sheepish about trailers for these things. Oh no, it, it isn't a trailer in the sense of that it gives anything away. It's it's, it's literally there's there's really nothing nothing of the recording at all. It's just something that Sutek says. It's just a little. Little, little speech written for Sutek. Exactly. I've not even seen the Star Wars trainer for the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> I've actually... But no, this, this one gives nothing away because no, none of it's been edited together yet, so I wouldn't worry too much. Yeah, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I've embedded the trailer on the website, but I've not watched it. Ah, <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't want to spoil that film for me. When it comes oh. out. It's, um, I'm, I'm a bit weird like that, I guess. Um, you've also uh, done a fair bit of uh, big finish work as a director, yeah, um, right. as well. And I've, I've got to say, I've really enjoyed the uh, recent slew of episodes that you've done with Blake Seven. Oh yeah, I, that that's been amazing. Obviously, I, I was on board um, a little bit earlier on with the Blake Seven, Liber- you know, the Liberator Chronicles, which are, are very similar to the um, Companion Chronicles, you know, two handers and quite sort of psychological dramas. Um, but I had the opportunity to do six full cast ones recently, and that's amazing. I mean, it was a bit like herding cats with that cast. It, they were they were extraordinary, and to bring them all back together, it's um, the, the latest full cast ones are from the, um, a later series mm-hmm. of um, of Blake Seven. 
so the dynamic is is slightly different but we really had a great time yeah the latest ones is uh when when Blake left the series so that's that, right yeah absolutely that, so Avon is a little bit more full-on in these ones mm. That, that, for me, was when the series really picked up on television once I got rid of Blake. Oh, <laughs> because, for, for me, Blake was a little bit too much of an idealist. <laughs> well, that, I mean, in a way, that, that helped to conflict with Avon a bit more, who wasn't an idealist. Um, I mean, you know, it can get a bit out and out baddie. But I went uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the BFI, that, you know, British Film Institute in London. They had a Blake 7 evening. And they showed uh, clips up on the main screen, on the big screen in the cinema and I tell you what it came across brilliantly I think all, all of us who, who were you know obviously some of the original cast and, and uh, some of us who were there were thinking it might look a bit naff and it didn't it was great and the cast were brilliant so um, you know if you can translate that into some brilliant drama on, on radio then it's for me it's, it's working well I, I really enjoy it well, I really enjoyed the last one you did, the uh, the one that was actually recent recent came out. Um, Is that the mindset? Yeah, the mindset one. Oh yeah, Jackie, J- Jack, Jack um, Rayner's script. I loved that. I loved it. I thought uh, for Callie as well, it was such a great idea. I don't want to put any spoilers out there, but again, it, it, it's a lot more psychological. It's a lot. I, I, what I love about radio is that it gives you much more opportunity to explore these sort of things because I suppose in a visual medium you're you're worried about the special effects or you know what the costumes are going to be like what the monsters are going to look like. But um, on radio, it's uh, well. This particular one actually didn't involve anything like that. And um, I, th- I thought it was a, a brilliant idea, very clever idea. Loved it. Yeah, I've got, I've got to admit, you know, with the amount of water that that was a uh, present for. Oh, episode, I know. I kept having to get up and go to the toilet. I tell you, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a it was a really it was really nicely done. Um, I, I kind of like the the exploration of Kagi and the um, and 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 you know um, and this is a tiny whiny spoiler because I've reviewed it anyway. <laughs> um, the, the voice that I was luring her in, it's all like um, he, oh, Jeffrey Breton, yeah, yeah it's good, isn't it? His his whole agenda is sort of like uh, seemed to be it seemed to be sort of like. Um, Riffing on 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 Dorian Gray. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yes, it, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that, that the ending is quite ambivalent as well. So we shall see what we shall see. Mm. You know, will he be back or is he really dead? I don't know. Is the answer to that? I, I, I don't, it's very difficult because you get asked questions about you know will so and so be or what's the, but as a director you literally get phone call and you say would you like to direct this episode? So it's actually the producer you need to talk about that. Those are the guys, the producers are the ones who guide series them and the, the, the you know the script editors and. They'll, They'll know what direction they want to go in, what stories they want to tell, what ideas they have for the character. And as director, you come in and and really sort of interpret what's on the page in the most effective way. And I also have to say, you know, at at this stage, although the later ones are going to be edited by um, the very clever Alistair Locke, because, of course, he does the voices for both Zen and Orac. um, But we had uh, Martin um, um, Montague doing the sound design on the early ones and his knowledge of Blake 7 is second to none and he did the most fabulous job on the post-production the wonderful thing about them though which is the same with the uh, Doctor Who audios is it, it just seems like you're you know if, you know, if it wasn't audio, it yeah. translates so easily to visual oh absolutely it just, absolutely. You know, it just seems so I, I, I think you know 
with modern technology and the fact that all of this done, is done in post-production, the detail you can get into the soundscape. I mean, if you close your eyes and just get your headphones on, you could really just be listening to the soundtrack of a film. You know, it's, I think it's marvellous. Really, really good. Another thing you got to do, um, this was for the. This is one of the things you got to do for the 50th anniversary. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna touch on your, the other thing you got to do for the 50th anniversary after this one. But you got to uh, hang around with Peter Davison and the guys in the Five-ish Doctors. How was that? <laughs> that was fun to make. Yeah, that's what you call a subliminal performance. Um, I happened to be at uh, one of Janet Fielding's uh, sci-fi conventions. Um, one of the Motormouth ones, and uh, they, uh, Peter and, and Georgia were around filming, and I sort of sort of tagged on. I didn't know whether I was invited or not. And there was a, a section which was being filmed at this convention, which was the dream sequence that uh, happens with with uh, Stephen Moffat, mm-hmm. with all the old companions going, "Bring me back, bring me back." Um, Actually, the, the, the original sequence was a lot longer than that. Everybody had their little speech, and, and I was sort of dragged in front of the camera. And um, Although, sadly, it never made the cut, I said, can, can we start with a microphone over my face so nobody could see me? So the original idea was that the, the line was, you know, uh, Stephen, Stephen, they want to see me. And I was going to sort of lift the microphone away from my face, <laughs> which I did, but because, obviously, I think uh, Peter was spoiled for choice with with how much material he had obviously something had to go so that was quite rightly um i, I did but, but wasn't that hysterical i thought the whole of that was brilliant uh, so I, funny yeah i thought it was i thought it was dead good it was you know it, was, it, it actually um, actually made my weekend when i seen that on a on bbc <laughs> iplayer um, i actually just recently bought the dvd of it out so that that's really good news yeah i hope to do a fun walk <laughs> Oh, I think everybody does. <laughs> and then be, everybody be clamouring for a part in it. I think Peter and Georgia, because Georgia was producing as well, uh, did such a good job on it. Very clever. Um, I love the opening sequence as well with Olivia Coleman and Sean Pertwee. I thought that was excellent. Uh, absolutely. It was, it, was, it was all good stuff. I mean... That 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 whole weekend, that that whole week of programming leading up. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, an oh, adventure yeah. it's in a space great celebration, time. wasn't it? It it was really it was really really good. Um, I'm just I'm just kind of sad that I couldn't afford to go to any of the big convention sort of things. Yeah, it, it, it was expensive. I mean, I was lucky enough to be with Big Finish at, at the XL. Um, and what I found so touching there, especially in terms of what we do, is that I think we thought because the fiftieth and uh, the exhibition was going to be so television orientated that we'd be sort of sitting in a corner with not many people coming along but we met I mean so many people came along I don't think we'd ever had a weekend like it for the three days it was absolutely extraordinary and and I I think in a way Big Finish was embraced as part of you know in in inverted commas official Doctor Who that weekend and and it was really gratifying meeting so many new people who who, listened to the audios it was terrific Mm, and that's actually kind of a nice little segue to my next question. <laughs> I love that word, segue. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the next question is, um, one of the things you directed uh, last year was Doctor Who, The Beginning. Oh, that's right, yes. And it was like sort of part of a trilogy, yeah, that's right. And there was kind of a... I'm not sure if um, I'm, I'm, I'm picking something out of thin air here from what, what I remember of listening to it, because it's been about a year since yeah. I've last listened to it. Well, more for me, yeah. But um, there was kind of, I'm, I'm just wondering, there, there seems to be a little bit of a reference to Clara Oswald in there from, from the television series. Um, 
sadly, my brain can't click in to remember specifics. The one thing I would say is that we had to change the shape of a first TARDIS on the front cover because literally a couple of weeks before, um, they'd shown that sequence where Clara had, is it, it was Clara, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Had run along when they had the, all the flashbacks of all the different doctors in the sequence. And uh, we'd had a, a very particular shaped um, TARDIS on the front cover of the, um, of the CD. And then suddenly it was a different shape on television. So everything had to be changed very quickly because if you want to be consistent, you don't want to you know, conflict with, with anything that had been set up on television. Mm-hmm. So um, that is my enduring memory of that. It may well be that that is the case, but sadly I can't remember. I'm so sorry. I can can remember very well, but what I I do kind of remember is she wasn't actually mentioned by name. It just seemed to be sort of like, it seemed to be sort of like suggested. Oh, right. You know, because it was part of a trilogy and you had the same, you kind of had the same thing going through the three three episodes. Well, there was the storing thing with uh, Terry Malloy. Mm-hmm. which um, obviously he was the kind of the, the, the three characters through the di- three different stages that he met, met the Doctor, which was the sort of link with, with all that. You know, I'm going to have to listen to that again, just so I find, you know, fig- figure out what it is I'm yeah. trying to talk about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gone, a, I've gone a bit doolangy on that one. Um, <laughs> my, my, my friend Raisa, who also reviews Big Finish um, DVDs for the website, um, um, she she she'll probably know because she's listened to it more recently than I have. I have so I'll, I'll quiz her about it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Um, another thing um, I've noticed that you, you you've just posted a picture of yourself with Chase Masterson recently on Facebook. Uh, does that mean That's, you've done some work yeah, with her? We have. We're uh, a big finish uh, publicised a couple of days ago that they're doing a, um, a box set of uh, crossovers of all the big finish characters. So there's the Graceless Girls. There's Sherlock Holmes. And I do a little bit with it in the Vienna um, context. So Benny, Bernice, Benny and Vienna have met. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm, 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 just, I'm just wondering, uh, I'm just wondering what that turned out like because I've not actually listened to Chase as Vienna yet. I've not. Had well, funny enough, I, I haven't either, and I can't tell you because all I did is I went in. You know, when you're in studio, you literally, you know, you picked, you're, you're given various pages. Um, and not a f- but especially when it's kind of through line with a box set, you don't quite know what's going on. So you get lines from one episode and then lines from another, and you you know you hope you say them convincingly. So I can't tell you what it, it, it it's uh, it's turned out like. All I know, it was great fun working with them. Is there anything else that can maybe? Well, Jake, Jake and Lightfoot. I'm, I'm that's the one that I the series that I absolutely adore, and we're just about to go into recording series eleven of that with the wonderful Christopher Benjamin and Trevor Baxter. They are, uh, they are so brilliant. And I'm so pleased the series has been so popular. It's, it's just the funniest, most brilliant series out. And we were very, very fortunate. We've got the great editor and, and composer, as it turned out, Howard Carter. We did a, in series eight, which has just come out, um, we did a full musical episode, which we, we, we was lucky enough to get onto the long list of the BBC Audio Awards for the non-broadcast section. Wow! And um, it, it's just, it, it, they're an absolute joy, absolute joy. And I'm so glad we're carrying on doing them because uh, it's just a party every time we, we get into the studio, basically. And uh, the writing has been superb on it. One, one last question for you. Um, 
I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously you've seen a new series um, of, of Doctor Who on television, or, or when, whenever you've seen it, um, because I know that you probably don't watch every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get to see it when I can. But you, 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 you've, seen, you've seen the new Doctor now, Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's utterly disgraceful that he's not been recognised by the NTAs because, you know, I thought he's brilliant. It's, it's, it's funny. I, I think national, national television awards are, are, are funny sort of things because there's a sort of populace. I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm not worried about that because I just think he's brilliant. I mean, he's 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 such a good actor and he's such a also such a great um What's the word? Not diplomat. Um, well, just a, a great champion of Doctor Who itself. You know, the fact that he was a fan and a follower of the of the show and loves what he does. I, I, I think he's I think he's superb. I really do. I think it's such a clever move from Matt Smith, who I was equally keen on. I thought he was a terrific doctor. And um, I think all the casting's been been very, very good. Um, I'm sure at some point, because, I mean, he's only really been on for a few episodes. I think once uh, Peter Capaldi's sort of bedded in as, as the character, because it's still relatively recently that he, he, he's been starting to play it, that people will, will hook onto him even more. I think he's wonderful. Well, I hope people hook onto him even more. So, you know, I, 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 think, he's, I think he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he is. I mean, it was a no-brainer. The moment you heard he was cast, you think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's fantastic. Don't have to worry about anything there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like, um, that's just guaranteed uh, Doctor Who being on the air for another 50 years, I think. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you never know. In about 10 years' time, Big Finish could be do, do, doing song like uh, Adventures with Krista Reckleston if the BBC met you. <laughs> Well, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's also, it's interesting how many uh, of the original actors have come into the fold of Big Finish, you know, and uh, and it's so wonderful as well to have Tom Baker there as well. Mm. He absolutely loves doing them. It's it, it's really, it's it, it's such an amazing show. There's no, there's no other show like it. There really isn't. Yeah, there's not. I mean, I've um, got to admit, I had a wee bit of a tear in my eye when, when I seen Tom Baker do The Curator. Oh, yeah. I was lucky. Lucky enough to be at Excel watching it with three and a half thousand other people when that happened. And when he turned round, everybody just went bananas. Yeah, but Tom Tom Baker was my doctor. Yeah, and, and he was a terrific doctor. What a great actor. Mm. Really, what, a, a brilliant performance. Yeah, my, my first memory of him was A Hand of Fear. I must have been about six at the time that I came out. Oh, out. wow, that must have been deeply and, scary. And that was sort of like, the, that was kind of when I was starting to, I knew what, that was kind of when I knew what Doctor Who was, and I was starting to recognise it, and I was starting to comprehend um, and to be honest, I, I wasn't scared. I was just fascinated by this disembodied hand walking around. For <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, I, I think Doctor Who was genuinely scary. I, I'm a great believer that that um, you don't necessarily need a lot of music on Doctor Who. I mean, that's one of my sort of little bugbears. But you look back at those John Pertwee episodes with that really weird radiophonic workshop uh soundtrack and it was it's really disturbing stuff it was amazing mm. i mean you know that that in the music on doctor who is one of my bugbears as well i mean it's no longer me wrong murray gold does some wonderful music for the new series but i think i think it's overused i think yeah i think it's just too much i i, I mean, that that's but you know i i get um 
I get audios, you know, where I just say, oh, we don't need music here. Or, you know, that people know that I'm, I'm not hugely keen on using too much of it. So it's not just Doctor Who. I, f- I feel the same about a, a lot of dramas these days. Um, that I just think they're over-reliant on, on telling us what we should be feeling. And uh, it, that, for me, sometimes it, it doesn't enhance the action. It, it, it sort of gets in the way. You know, you just want to see actors doing their job rather being told what they're trying to um, trying to convey. <laughs> and one last quickie. Uh, what 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 do you actually look for? I mean, as a director, what do you look for in your actors for a uh, big finish audio? Is this, um, I mean, all, audio uh, as as a genre is is very um, different, very different from a lot of other mediums. The one thing I would, uh, and I've always said, is that radio is far more akin to theatre than it is to television. You get a lot of uh, television actors thinking because they're a microphone, they have to take everything right down and, and make it very small. And, but actually, you need a lot of vocal energy. Um, another thing you need with audio is, is spontaneity. Um, we work very, very quickly. So really, there's very, very little time to, to do... To, I mean, so that sounds like it, it, we're just skimming over it, but to do too much detailed work. We've been very lucky with a lot of the scripts with, with the Big Finish. And most of the best actors I've ever worked with work very spontaneously. They're very instinctive actors. So generally, when you come in and you've got a good script and somebody knows what they're doing... Um, you just hit the you, you look for actors who can hit the ground running and, and I think because I suppose I've been in the industry so long you know your favourite actors you know who you like working with you know if they're nice people to have around in the green room but also you know that they're going to deliver the goods so you know I, I, I famously have a little black book that if anybody I see you know on television or on stage I think oh they'd be quite good you know um, I, I like it's quite a a fun exercise trying to match the part with the actor. I love doing that. It's fun. I often, you know, watch the extras on, on various animated films and yeah. whatnot, and you see the actors knocked in the booths and getting really <laughs> animated and stuff like that. yourself into it. That's a physical I, I kind of look at that and I think, this is theatre. <laughs> no, it really is theatre. It really is theatre. You need that. You know, when people are running, you have to get people running, you know. <laughs> Obviously, quietly with the feet, otherwise it gets in the where the post-production but you have you really really have to physically move yourself around obviously keeping on mic and um the advantage of the way the big finish work i mean that you know it's quite well known we all you know sit in booths but because you've got earphones on headphones on you actually hear your own performance so in a way you're slightly detached from it and it and it feels you can almost police yourself it feels like you're hearing somebody else doing a performance so um i, I quite enjoy that because you can almost be your own audience. And you think, oh, would that sound convincing if I did it like that? Or, you know, it, it's really, um, it's an interesting exercise. I suppose I've been doing it for so long now that uh, uh, it's just a process I find quite straightforward. A lot of actors who've never worked like that before, who work in, in the audio way that most radio is, which is when you go in and out of one microphone and you almost like have to choreograph it like a stage play. Um, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. It's been been great having you, and um, I'm w- looking forward to the uh, new Bernie Summerfield adventures and your next Blake Seven adventure. Uh, thanks very much indeed. Well, the new uh, just to do a quick plug: the new uh, Bernie Summerfield with um, Sylvester, Sophie, and Sutek is out in June. So I, I really hope people enjoy it, and it's been great being on. Thanks very much, Ian. It's been a pleasure having you on, and um, you know, best of luck with it. Um, you know, I, I I hope maybe we can catch up again next year and talk about you know anything new that you may have in in the yeah. pipeline then as well. Yeah, excellent. Be happy to. Okay, well, thanks a lot for being on, and it's been really nice speaking to you. Thanks very much, Ian.
and I'm saying this is Billy Jones from the Cape, aka Scales. You're listening to SFP now. Okay, um, I'd like to thank, um, in, in closing, Sean, I'd like to thank uh, Britton Vanante for her, you know, for joining us for the conversation um, about Agent Cadder. Um, if you guys don't know already, uh, Britton, Britton has um, a fantastic web series which um, is available to watch on uh, YouTube. Um, it's called Interrogation. It's, um, it's a really cool sci-fi web series which just like, drops you straight into the action and you can kind of figure out what's going on as, as you go. It's, um, it's, it's really smartly written and produced and directed and you know, it's, it's, worth, it's well worth seeing. So I'd like to thank uh, also Riesa and also our special guest this week, Lisa Bowerman, for taking time out of her busy schedule to join us. Um, we'll be back with another show in a few weeks' time, so thanks for listening, and we'll be right back with you in a couple of weeks.